are here with Jordan Tutu, NHL legend. Thanks so much for joining us on Perform. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So I don't know if you know this, but we got two things in common. Number one, we both were born in Manitoba. And number two, I'm also ingenious. So <laughs> that's pretty cool right off the hop. Um, well, let, let, me, let me get this straight. I was born in Manitoba, Churchill, yeah. Manitoba. Yeah. Uh, back in the 80s, there wasn't a birthing center up in my hometown of Rankin Inlet, Nunavut. So all the, the mothers-to-be were sent to Churchill mm. to have their babies. Uh, I was there probably, I don't know, three or four days and then got went home. So I, I was born in Churchill, but I was basically born and raised in Rankin Inlet, Nunavut. Rankin Inlet is my hometown. Ooh. Tell us a little about, about Nunavut and what that was like growing up there. Well, a, a lot of people have never been up there for one. Uh, Nunavut is a very isolated territory. It became its own territory uh, in April of 1999. Uh, we we kind of split in half with the, the Northwest Territories. Hmm. Um, a lot of communities are are uh, Inuit mm. or Inuk um, uh, descendants so a lot of these remote communities are very small very isolated uh, only way in and out is to to fly or to go on boat or in the winter time by snowmobile so um, yeah it's uh it's pretty damn cold, let me tell you that much. Yeah. Uh, your, your average temperatures in the winter are minus 40 without uh, the wind chill. So, you know, we used to play street hockey in minus 50, minus 60 under the northern lights. Wow. So I know your dad was the one who kind of first got you out there and got you, you know, showed you the ropes. Tell us a little bit about that. Was he an easygoing guy or did he set the bar really high for you? Yeah, my, my father, Barney, was, uh, was an athlete himself. He played hockey, was his uh, number one sport, and uh, just kind of grew in the family. So we were always at the rink, coached me up until I left home at the age of 14. So it was, uh, he was a, a pretty hard coach. Mm. Um, but that being said, you know, in, in our, in these remote communities, we don't have leagues. So you have 10 to 15 guys, uh, for peewee, bantam, midget. So we, we basically played against each other mm. until, uh, we went out for tournaments and we dominated. Mm. Was it pretty rough out there? Like, uh, a lot of, lot of fights, a lot of, you know, was it pretty rough, aggressive? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you grow up knowing everybody, right? In these, yeah. in these remote communities, everybody knows everyone. Um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, in the hockey world, we call it Hudson Bay rules. Anything goes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and, and my father was always pretty, pretty lenient as long as, you know, no one was uh, going to get, you know, injured bad. But uh, you basically had to uh, stick up for yourself. Um, you know, it's just it's just like hockey in, in the South. You know, emotions run high sometimes, and uh, it happens. And 
um, yeah, I, I grew up always wanting to play with, uh, with my brother and all his buddies and, you know, they were three years older than me. So, uh, you know, they, they were hard on me and that's basically what, uh, what I grew up doing, you know, always having to, to fight and earn my spot. And, you know, that's one thing, uh, staying there is, a, is another level of, you know, mental toughness, and uh, I attribute all, all those traits uh, to playing with my, my late brother, Terrence, and, uh, and all his buddies. And, you know, my dad was um, never the one to, to step in and say, hey, you're too rough on my, my son. Mm. Back off. Uh, mm. You know, if I wanted to be there, I had to do it on my own terms. Yeah, because when I watch you play in the NHL, one thing is for sure, you are great at ruffling people's feathers. There's no doubt about that. I got to ask you because this was like one of the best um, games I've seen when you went up to the Buffalo Sabres goaltender, Ryan Miller, and you know, you basically charged him. I mean, I would call it, I got to know, like what motivated you to do that? Did he say something to you? And if so, what did he say? Well, this is the problem here. Your average uh, non-hockey fan doesn't get, how fast the game is. Hmm. Uh, if you go back and look at that clip, uh, you know, we're, we're all taught as forwards to, to drive the net and cut the net hard. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, when you're going a million miles an hour and, and the defenseman who was on my back gives me, you know, just a, a, a shove on my hips enough hmm. to, you know, deter my, my pathway, um, you know, the, the defenseman kind of gave me a nudge and I, you know, I couldn't go nowhere. And the only thing I could do at the time there was to try and leap over him. Hmm. Um, so yeah, like it's uh it's a fast game, but you know, like I said before, shit happens out there. Uh, it was, it was unintentional. I got suspended, I think for three or four games for that because I think two or three games prior to, to them coming to Nashville, Mila and Lucic, uh, you know, pumbled Miller over. So within the span of two or three days, two incidents happened. And unfortunately I was the culprit of uh, getting suspended. So mm -hmm. yeah, uh, shit happens. Was there ever a time that you ruffled a little bit of feathers? Maybe it went too far. And you got yourself in a little bit of deep water. Can you give us some, give us an instance on this? Well, I was, you know, the, the style that I played, um, I was an agitator. I, I would get under guy's skin. Uh, by no means I was, I was no heavyweight. Uh, thank, thank God that, you know, we, I always had heavyweights on uh, both sides of me uh, that, basically back me up, you know, but you know, I, I, if you're willing to play that role, you got to be able to stand up for yourself. And, and ultimately it's uh, what I always say is mind over matter. Uh, you know, chaos would happen out on the ice uh, pr or, or even before games when you knew something was going to go down, right. That's, that's probably the hardest part as a, as an athlete or as a fighter, in the in the nhl is uh knowing you know the, the whole day that 
something's going to go down. It's just a matter of time. Hmm. Right. And uh, I, I always, you know, I, I didn't stress out about it. Hmm. Uh, I, I'm not, I wasn't one of those guys who, uh, you know, got mind over, uh, you know, doing, you know, my antics out on the ice and worrying about something going down and, you know, cause it would just mess, mess you right up. Mm. Uh, you know, I talked to a lot of, a lot of heavyweight guys who, you know, it, it really messed them up mentally, right. Mm. Prior to, to playing games and knowing, you know, just imagine uh, you or, or any, any of the viewers, if you did something that was, you know, that you knew something was going to go down. Imagine thinking about it all day and just waiting for that time to come because it's going to come. But, you know, towards the end of my career, Mm. uh, I I still played the same, Mm. but I had clarity. I had purpose and I thought about the game first. Mm. And if something went down, it went down, Mm. you know, early in my career, God, like, you know, every game day I was like, okay, so, you you know, how, like, I got to protect myself. Something's going to go down uh, and and leading into the game and, and it happening and it's all done with, but Mm. yeah, the, the mental strain, like uh, if you have that mental toughness, uh, I always say will over skill, Mm. will over skill because your will is going to get you a lot further than, you know, just, just your skill. I like that. I know that, you know, I read that, you know, there was a part in your career that you were, you know, kind of drinking a little bit and, you know, you kind of overcame that. A little bit. I mean, yeah. it was hardcore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, why don't you tell me and the viewers a little bit about, you know, when that was in terms of your NHL career and how you kind of overcame it? Yeah, so I, I grew up in a in an alcoholic household. Both my parents were alcoholics. Uh, I was introduced to alcohol uh, probably at the age of 11, 12. Mm. Uh, first time I ever blacked out, I was 14, 15 years old. And mm. I thought it was uh, the greatest feeling ever. Uh, I, I'm sure, you know, a lot of addicts can attest to mm. that feeling. Um, and then, and then the chase is on, you know, the chase was on from, from that point on, because I wanted to, uh, you know, kind of numb the pain, numb the, the mental aspect of being in a, in a chaotic household where, you know, every day was a grind. Mm. Um, I love my parents to death. Uh, I can honestly say our relationship today is, is been better than it's ever been into my NHL career. The first, God, six years of my NHL career, I was, uh, I don't know if uh, a lot of the viewers know what guilty hockey is, but it's, you know, when you use too much the night before, you try and compensate by working a little extra harder to, to not be noticed, to not be exposed. I was so I thought I was, you know, scot-free of any, any wrongdoing. Mm. Uh, but, you know, everyone hits their rock bottom mm. in different ways. For me, I, uh, 
it got to the point where it, it wasn't like I was drinking every night or I needed a, a drink every night. Uh, I was a binge drinker. When I got the green light, it was full throttle. My alcoholism really escalated after the passing of my brother in, uh, in 2002. Mm. Um, you know, 20 years old, playing in the show, uh, going to bed, trying to not think about, you know, what happened or what could I have done or what did I do wrong uh, for my brother to, uh, to take his own life. But ultimately, uh, you know, I learned in sobriety uh, the process of um, absorbing everything and, and to realize that, you know, the way we grew up, uh, that the mental toll that, you know, it, it took on my brother because my, my brother Terrence was basically the mediator in the family. He was the one that he was the glued to the family. He kept everyone together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're 15, 16, 17 years old, and you have to be a parent to, to your parents, uh, hey, it, it eventually catches up to you. Mm. And, uh, you know, with suicide, you'll never know the answers. Uh, you know, this is why, uh, you know, mental awareness is uh, probably at its, you know, it's it's been better as the years go on where you know we're learning how to communicate with one another and open up and be honest and that it's okay Mm. Um, especially for men Mm. right where a lot of us men grow up um, told being told you know men don't show emotion men don't cry Uh, we we shut up and we put up with it but you know that's 10 times worse Mm. Right. I, I did it. Hmm. I did it up until I was 27 years old, 20, yeah, 27 years old when I entered rehab. And, uh, you know, today I can honestly say I have clarity. I have peace of mind. You know, if I was your buddy back then and I wanted to help you, could I have helped you? And if so, what could I have done when you were in full blown addiction? Well, I think a lot of my. <laughs> You, you learn pretty damn quick who your true friends are when you hit those tough times, right? Mm. Uh, I had a lot of a lot of surface friends who um, were around me because of my popularity, because of you know what I did, and I thought those were my friends. Uh, you know, my close friends, I think, were a little intimidated to. Uh, to step in and say, Hey, look at toots. You, you know, you're, you're a little bit out of control. Mm. Uh, it wasn't till after the fact that I realized I had a problem that, you know, my, my closest friends then reached out and said, Hey, I, I was too afraid to, uh, to step in and, and tell you, those are the times where that individual needs you the most. And, you know, I try and relay the message to, uh, to people out there that, you know, on a daily basis, ask, ask your friends, how are they doing? You know, look them straight in the eye and say, no, like, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. Right. Because no one wants to go there. Right. Everyone wants to everything to be, you know, peaceful and, and, you know, every individual 
can and can figure it out on their own. But as adults, as men, you know, especially, um, reach out to one another. You know, it, it, it's everyone's fighting a fight we know nothing about until we speak up and and ask and and to be there. You'll never know. What had to go down for you to hit that bottom? Tell us about that. Well, it came to the point where I knew in order for one cycle to stop and a new cycle to stop, I had to change. Hmm. Uh, With my popularity, uh, with you know, being an indigenous role model for, for many kids out there. Um, I took it upon myself to, um, to realize that, Hey, it's gotta be, it's gotta be me that, you know, changes because I, I could, you know, I've done a lot of public speaking and I contradicted my, myself many times by, you know, talking about, how dangerous alcohol is or, or drugs. And, you know, yet me going out that night and, and parting it up, you know, contradicted my story. And in order for, for individuals to, uh, to follow my lead, I had to show them by at my actions mm. and, and that, you know, by entering rehab, uh, isn't a sign of weakness, uh, by asking for help isn't a sign of weakness. It actually strength strengthens that individual, mm. right? And uh, you know, for me, it was uh, either my hockey career, mm. um, or being six feet under, or prolonging my career and and starting a new cycle, not only for for myself but my family, mm. for for my kids. Were you able to get clean the first time you went to rehab? Yes, I, I knew, uh, I knew here, you know, because until that individual is ready, nothing's going to change. So I know you're super passionate about the ingenious community and giving back. You've obviously got your own foundation right now. Give us some insight on that. Tell us what's going on, what motivated you to do that. And, you know, how can people get in touch? Well, you know, we, we all know, suicide is a national epidemic in in our country especially in the indigenous communities i i am forever grateful for where i come from and who i am uh and that i am able to to share my story to Mm -hmm. help our indigenous communities grow together Mm -hmm. um you know you, you you go back years and years of uh you know I don't want to get into any political debates here, but you know, the residential schools and, and how it affected our people and, um, and, and the substance abuse that came along with it. Uh, you know, it's very prevalent in our communities and, and I, I experienced all that Mm. and, you know, it's, it's a daily work in progress for me to, to better myself, but trying to help our, our indigenous communities grow and to accept what happened and to, to move forward and to kind of turn the page 
and start a new new way of thinking, right? Because it doesn't doesn't happen overnight. It takes a long time, you know, just like my sobriety, right? Like I said, the first three years were hell for me. Mm. But today I can honestly say I, I wouldn't have what I have today if, if I didn't sober up and accept the help. You know, I have a beautiful wife, Jennifer. Uh, we have two uh, beautiful girls, Sienna and Avery, who are healthy. And, and, you know, I am sober today. It's a life that you choose. Uh, and, and for a lot of Indigenous people, we want to take the easy way out and blame others mm. rather than looking yourself in the mirror and accepting your flaws and, you know, and, and to, to understand that in order for this to change, you got to do it yourself. Mm. No one else is going to do it for you. Is there anything you wanted to ask me or anything else you wanted to talk about before we wrap up today? Well, I, you know, for me, we all, we all have a story. Mm. Everyone fights a fight we know nothing about. Uh, you know, with, um, with social media, with the access of the, uh, you know, the plentiful amount of help out there, uh, you know, sitting at the dinner table with your family and talking about life talking about experiences you know we didn't i didn't have that growing up as a kid we didn't sit at a dinner table as a family um you know i i lived on eggshells pretty much as a child mm. um and so now for for me to stop one cycle and start a new cycle for my for for my family uh it's been a wonderful challenge um you know setting boundaries uh you know every family is different mm. but as long as we we love and we give our kids affection um because that's all i craved as a kid was a you know the, the love and affection from mommy and daddy uh just wasn't there for me um you know but that being said you know, it is what it is, right? Uh, so for me to, to, to start a new cycle for, for my kids has been a, a wonderful experience. Um, being a father, being a present father has been uh, probably the, the best gift that I, that I could have given myself. Do you have anything going on in the next year to five years, a goal, something that you're, you know, working towards that you could tell us a little bit about? Well, uh, raising my kids, being a present father, um, you know, for me, I am truly grateful that I, I walked away from the game of hockey on my own terms and, uh, and, and now being a, a present father has, uh, has been, uh, truly an amazing experience. Um, you know, for, for me personally, uh, in my spare time, I am uh, rebuilding a '66 Bronco, so nice. a lot of a lot of garage time, and and obviously keeping myself educated on you know what's going on in the world, what's going on in our indigenous communities, yeah. um, you know, because for for me, I I owe it to our people to uh, to show them that you know change can happen, and uh, it takes time. It's a process.
over the next five years, I want to grow myself. I want to be the best father I can be. I want to be the best husband for my wife because she is the backbone of our family and, um, and, and to, to communicate, to be open and honest. Listen, you're an amazing guest, man. Super motivational. I really love the story. Thank you for coming on Perform. Honestly, like really appreciate it. My pleasure. Anytime. Thank you.